So, well, praise the Lord. Here we are in week two of our study of Hebrews. We're going to be picking up our study in verse four, but first let's begin by reading um, from verse one for context. It says, in many parts and in many ways, God of old, having spoken to the fathers in the prophets in these last days, did speak to us in a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom, he, through whom also he did make the ages, who being the brightness of the glory and the impress of his subsistence, bearing up, all, bearing up also all things by the seeing of his might. So, Last week we looked at the author's opening remarks and we know that there was no greeting, just started out with these amazing statements about the Messiah. The author is reminding his audience that the Messiah, Yeshua, is the son of the living God. He and his being, his son, he is the exact representation of his being, the exact impress of God. That means if you listen to him teach, Hear him render some judgment. Hear him say, I forgive. Experience his love, his kindness, his mercy, his compassion. Then you have heard and experienced exactly what the Father feels for you. He's the exact character of God. Evidently, the writer has heard something that's going on among the Hebrews that has led him to believe that they're on the verge of forsaking Messiah or at least thinking that something other than a Messiah is needed or that in some way they are in doubt over who Messiah is. And as we read, it's going to be obvious that it has something to do with the temple services for Yom Kippur. But understand, he's not mincing words here. His words are to tell the readers that there is nothing higher than the Messiah Yeshua. His character is God's character. His judgments are God's judgments. His love is God's love. And let me say, if I were one of those who didn't believe in the deity of Messiah, if I were one of those who believed that Messiah was not eternal or at creation with the Father, if I were one of those who felt that Messiah's work was insufficient and we still needed to adhere to Torah for our justification, and then I studied these first four verses of the book of Hebrews, then I, like Monty Judah and others, would want to throw this book out of the Bible as well. The book of Hebrews spoils such nonsense. However, as I said last week, my Bible consists of 66 books, and I believe that they are all the Word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so I believe these first four verses, and I take comfort in the deity of Messiah and the completeness of His work. Now, we covered the first two verses last week, and there are some amazing statements in those first two verses, because what other being can say that he is the character of God, the image of God, or the radiance of God's glory, which is exactly the writer's point. There is no one. However, for these first century Jews, they're just statements without scriptural evidence. And the same should be true of us. These should just be statements without scriptural evidence. And so he's going to begin to prove what he has just said by uh, going to Scripture. 
But before he does that, we have a couple more amazing statements to go over. Verse 3 says, Who being the brightness of the glory, the impress of his subsistence, bearing up all things by the saying of his might, through, though him, through himself having been made a cleansing of our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the greatness in the highest, having become so much better than the messengers, as he did inherit a more excellent name than they. Okay, so we also covered verse 3 briefly last week, and it told us that Messiah is the radiance of God's glory, of the Father. He is the exact character. So, if we go, as we have many times, to Exodus chapter 34, we'll learn something about the character of God and his renown. Exodus 34 verse 6 says, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Now we've studied this many times, but what's important for us today is that portion that I underline. The father forgives sin. How does he do that? Well, the author says Yeshua has made a cleansing for our sins. He displayed and was the character of God in that he was the offering for our sins. To forgive wickedness and rebellious and sins of the people of the world. He did it. It's a done deal. In other words, there's no other forgiveness. But not just that. No other cleansing is necessary. Look at the word used for, uh, in the Greek for cleansing here. And it says... Cleansing, purification, a ritual, purgation of or washing, a cleansing from guilt of sins. Yeshua is the sin offering for a rebellion against God and immersion rolled into one. Your sins have been forgiven, nothing left to do. The sin offering of the temple was a shadow of what Messiah would do. And the immersions that we see for purity, a shadow as well. Jeremiah told us the same thing in chapter 17 and verse 3. He says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust of the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. The God of Israel and his son wash you clean. They are the spring of water. That word for hope there is the Hebrew word mikvah. And a mikvah is an immersion bath. You know, I once had an elder who's no longer here teach that you had to be immersed or your salvation would be in doubt. And he taught that in the winter. And everyone who, uh, everyone who hadn't been immersed wanted to go out and cut holes in the ice. Well, I quickly corrected that teaching. Listen, when you repent of your sins and accept Yeshua, it is a done deal. You are forgiven and purified of the effects of that wrongdoing. You, don't, you, you, do, you no more need an immersion bath for purity than you need a sin offering for sin. That said, should you be immersed? Well, yes, you should because Yeshua commands us to be immersed. 
Does it wash your sins away? No. Are you condemned if you don't? No. Because again, if you have Yeshua, it's a done deal. And that's exactly what the text says. We have our first quote here uh, in verse 4. And it's a quote from uh, Scripture. It says, He sat down at the right hand of the greatness in the highest. It's from Psalm 110. And we'll speak more about those psalms and others next week, some of these proofs next week. But the important thing for us to see here is that after he provided purification for our sins, he sat down. In other words, there's nothing left for him to do. You don't sit down if there's something to do, right? Because you sit down because you're finished with your work. He sat down from his priestly duties. He sat down as the final redemption. He sat down as the final word of God. He sat down. There's nothing left to accomplish by way of his complete redemption of his creation. That said, he sat down signifying that his redemptive work is over. That doesn't mean that he's not active still on our behalf. Because, as it said, he's bearing up all things by the saying of his might. He's still interceding on our behalf. He's still speaking to our hearts. Amen? Now, the next point he's going to make is that not only is there nothing higher on earth, but there's nothing higher in the heavens either, not even angels. He's going to spend a great deal of time on angels. And notice that the Young's literal says messengers and not angels. The Greek word here, angelos, and I put it up here for you, as you can see, it can mean either angel or messenger, which makes sense as angels are the messengers of God, sent to minister to men. And it's like its Hebrew counterpart, which I also put up here, malach, is a messenger or an angel, the Greek word. It's used of messengers like prophets of God, apostles of God, also angelic beings. And here, because of the preceding reference to the fathers and the prophets and their message, and now he's going to talk about angels, we can take it to mean both, right? He's talking about there is no one higher. There is no word higher. And so, again, Hebrew means angel or just messenger, in fact, in this case, it means both. You know, there's a prophet uh, whose name is derived from this word. I put it up here for you. Malachi means my messenger. Right? Now, these may seem like subtle differences to you, but not so. First, as I said last week, he's saying that the ages, the world as we know, was made by and through the Messiah. Second, we're seeing that his words, those he spoke, are greater than the other messengers of God. Do you know what that means? It means that Yeshua's words take precedent over that of any other messenger of God, be they prophets, kings, or angels. But his choice of words, he's saying more than that. While it includes the prophet, it also includes all messengers of God, to include Moses. The fathers. And this is a point he's going to build on as we proceed. That the words of Yeshua, while he was on here, while he was on the earth, the words he spoke on the earth were greater than that of the prophets before him to include Moses. More than, more than that, the words he speaks to your heart are greater as well, too. Let me, let me say a quick word about speaking to your heart. You know, 
If you feel that God, the Lord has spoke to your heart, that's the greatest thing that can happen to you. I can think of the times that the Lord has spoken to me, and I cherish those things. But if the Lord speaks to your heart, most often you should keep it to yourself. If he speaks to your heart before a meeting or something or, or a sermon, don't go into the sermon or the meeting and say, you know, the Lord showed me this. He spoke to me this. Because I can tell you something, just as often as I've heard the Lord speak to my heart, I've also heard myself speak to my heart. Right? You can be your own heart speaking to you. And if you say the Lord spoke to me, you're saying to everybody there, case closed. No argument. Don't argue with me. The case is closed. It's a dangerous thing to say the Lord spoke to me. When in fact it may just be your own heart. Because you have used the Lord's name in vain. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say things like that. Nor can, I put, nor can I put a number on the people hurt by those kind of words. You hear it in charismatic churches all the time and you see people hurt by it all the time. When you say the Lord showed me, you're bolstering your own words in the Lord's name. All that said, does the Lord speak to our hearts? Yes, he does. But we need to be discerning about what we keep to ourselves. Amen? Because he just may want you to know that, and that's it. Or it may be your own heart. Because Jeremiah tells us in chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things beyond cure. Who can understand it? If the Lord spoke to your heart about something, trust him and keep silent Unless he specifically tells you to speak it. Because if he said he can bring it about, hey, if he said it, he can bring it about, right? Amen? Now, if he says specifically tell people, that's different. Okay, that's enough of that rabbit trail. But, you know, I hate it when people come up to me and say, the Lord told me this. I said, you know, I don't take that as anything. I just take it as, well, what, what do you really have to say? Right? Until it comes to be. Because if the Lord told you, it'll come to be. But 99 times out of 100, nothing comes of it. So be careful. Amen? All right. All of that said to get to the next part. Above, Yeshua's words are above all other messengers. And it's consistent with the rest of Scripture. Listen to what Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 17 says. The Lord spoke to me and said, What they say is good. I will raise up a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything that I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, must be put to death. Well, I guess that's pretty clear, right? You know, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we, record, we have the words of Yeshua recorded as well, that his words are above all else. He says in, it says in Luke chapter 21, verse 33, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Yeshua tells us in the book of Luke about the importance of his words. He says this in chapter 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug a deep and laid a foundation on rock. When the flood came and the torrent struck, the house did not shake because it was well built. 
But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is a man who, like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. Listen to what he says. John gives us the sternest warning about the words of Yeshua in John chapter 12, verse 47. It says, As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I don't judge him. For I do not come to judge the world but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and rejects and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him on the last day. For I did not speak it of my own accord. But the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. In perfect keeping with Deuteronomy chapter 18. We should be starting to see here why there are some in the Messianic movement who want to do away with this book. They want to put other things ahead of Yeshua. They want to put other words uh, ahead of Yeshua's words. The words of Moses ahead of the words of Yeshua. Bind you to rabbinic observance of Torah. The writer of Hebrews corrects this heretical teaching. Listen, I'll tell you why people hate the book of Hebrews. Because it destroys so many erroneous teachings. Listen, let's, let's read on as the writer destroys one more. This is one of my favorites. Hebrews 1 Chapter 2, or verses 2 through 4. In the last days he did speak to us in a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he did make the ages, who being the brightness of the glory and the impress of his substance, bearing up all things by the saying of his might, through himself, having made a cleansing for our sins, sat down at the right hand of the greatness in the highest, having become so much better than the messengers, as he did inherit a much more excellent name than they. Now, I want you to notice something, that Yeshua is called God's son, a son whom he appointed heir of all things. This, as it's spoken here, is who Yeshua is. It's not just a title. There is a title for the kings of Israel. They were called the sons of God. But here... In our first four verses, it means Yeshua is the literal Son of God, the impress of His being. You know, there are some that tell you that every time you see this Yeshua being called the Son of God, it's just a title for that He was descended, He's a king descended through David. And indeed, that's often the case. But here, in the opening verse, He's called just Son. The angels are called collectively sons of God, but never is an angel called son or son of God. It says he spoke to us through a son, and that son is the impress of his being. He's the very expression of his character. There's only one way you can be that, and that's to be the literal son. And I'll talk more about that in a moment because he will talk about his title, the Son of God, King of Israel, through David in, this chat, uh, in the book as well. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. It says, Having become so much greater than the messengers as he did inherit a more excellent name than they, for to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I become your father, or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. This is our second and third quotes from Scripture, and they come from, from Psalm 2 and Samuel 7. And they both speak of the offspring of David, who will be a king. 
And as I said, the kings of Israel were known as sons of God. But not every time that you read son of God in reference to Yeshua does it mean just the king. Oftentimes it means the literal offspring of Yeshua. Let's look at a place where it means king. John chapter 1 verse 49 says, Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Nathanael just made a parallel statement. He said, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And so we learn that son of God is a term for the kings of Israel. The problem is there are some that want to tell you that whenever Yeshua is called the son of God, it refers to him as this title, the king of Israel. There are also those who want to tell you he was just created only in the first century. But that's not what the author tells us. The author has a much higher view of Yeshua than that. You know, Christology is the study of the character of Messiah, Christology. And he has a very high Christology. They say he was created in the first century. He's going to uh, do away with that. I want to skip down to chapter 2 and verse 9. Listen to this. But we see Yeshua, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Oh my goodness, did you just see that? Yeshua was made. So how can he be after all, all those things that the author just said about him? It says Yeshua was made. You see, the problem here is, we trans, this, it's translated made, but it more accurately means decreased. It's the, I put the Greek word up here. To lessen in rank, to decrease, to make lower. It doesn't mean made as in created. It means uh, there are many words he could have used for made. You know, there are 266 maids in the New Testament. You know how many of these words occur in the New Testament, this Greek word? Five, four of them in this chapter, and one in John chapter 3. Let's read it. It's Yochanan, the immerser, as recorded in John. He must increase that I may decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of, earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from above is above all. This is the sense in which Messiah was made. He was not always lower. He was decreased. He was born into the age, and when he was born into the age, of course, he was decreased. He existed with the Father. He was decreased lower than the angels. We could read that whole section this way. But we see Yeshua, who was decreased to be a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. He was the creator of all things who was decreased to be lower than the angels and now he's reunited with his father sitting at the right hand of God. How do we know that? Well, we were just told up above that through a son he made the ages, which means his son was at creation. And here we're told that Yeshua has decreased to be a little lower than the angels. Well, that was what he was before. He was decreased to be lower than the angels because it's obvious that in helping create the age, he wasn't lower than the angels. 
How can God's son and creator of the age be lower than the I never read anything about angels creating anything, have you? Not a thing. Yeshua is called son. Let's look at a couple references of this. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, the father speaking. A voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. And again in Matthew chapter 17, again the father speaking. While he was speaking, a bright cloud enveloped him, and a voice from a cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. His words are higher than any other messenger's words, and so you need to listen to him, or God will call you to account. You see, he became lower. He was decreased when he came into this age, and after his total obedience to God and his death, he was restored. He was crowned Son of God, King of Israel. God's Son was given the title Son of God, King of Israel, and made heir of all that he and the Father created. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that this only refers to king whenever you see it. Because many times... That's one of the first steps that I see in people renouncing Yeshua as Messiah. I've seen it over and over. The kings of Israel were called the sons of God as a shadow because the king of Israel was going to be the son of God. Amen? Remember, what's in the Torah is a shadow of the reality. After he was decreased, the author told us that he's bearing up all things by the scene of his mind. Through himself, having made a cleansing for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the greatness in the highest. Where did he get that? Where did he get that he's sitting at the right hand of the greatness in the highest? Well, Daniel prophesied it in chapter 7, verse 13. He says, As I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him before, near before him. Then, he, then to him he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is a king, is, is, and his kingdom the one which shall never be destroyed. And so the writer begins the book with Yeshua's superiority over the patriarchs, over Moses, over the prophets. He is speaking of his authority of the other messengers, even spiritual messengers like angels. And this really, you know, this wasn't something that was foreign to the readers. There's a Midrash um, in David Stern's commentary, and I quoted it here for you. It's, it's actually quoted by a fellow named Westcott. Behold, my servant shall deal wisely and prosper. This is King Messiah. He shall be extremely exalted and extolled and be very high. He shall be exalted beyond Abraham, exalted beyond Moses, and raised high above the ministering angels. The author of Hebrews is driving home this same point. He's going to back it up now with Psalms, and so the discussion will now be on heavenly beings, and he's going to back all of these things that he said in the first four verses up with Psalms, showing Messiah's superiority over the angels. And we'll focus on these proofs next week. Let's bring the worship team back up.